Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harbison, as always. And we'll start with the big news story of the week: England have added Harry Brook to their World Cup squad at the expense of Jason Roy. We'll hear from national selector Luke Wright on what next for the 2019 World Cup winner. On the field, Zach Crawley's England begin a three-match ODI series against Ireland this week, and we'll be joined by Nathan Johns from the Irish Times as they also have a rejig ahead of the series. And New Zealand captain Kane Williamson will join us to give us an update on his fitness ahead of the start of next month's World Cup. And we'll discuss any other business in part four, as Leicestershire win the one-day cup, Sussex's promotion hopes are dealt a huge blow, and Tim Murtagh retires from the game. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Tommy, it's... um. I had a lot of people up in arms. Jason Roy, um, having been told a month ago that he was in the World Cup squad, that the squad to play in New Zealand was the World Cup squad, has now been axed. Everybody wanted, or most people wanted, Harry Brook in the team. You were amongst the many who couldn't find a place for, for him. You did mention Jason Roy, but then the squad was announced and and that was that. So we thought, why do you have to announce the squad? And Until the day you need to announce it, you just leave yourself wide open. I feel so sorry for Jason. Uh, I really do. Jason's had a, a wonderful career for England, 2019 World Cup winner. Look, I think because of the injuries that he's had, it was inevitable. Harry had to go. Um, and unfortunately for Jason, he's the one that's, that's been um, not made an escape vote, but he's he's somebody I think I think it was the right, right call in the end because of the injury he had. Uh, but I'm gutted for him because... This is a this is a lad who has predominantly played white ball cricket. Whenever he plays well for England, England win because of the way he plays at the top of the order. So it's gutting. Um, I don't know why they had to pick the squad a few weeks ago and then have all this sort of um, baggage that's gone with Harry Brook in or out and Jason out of the squad. But for me, unfortunately for Jason, Harry Brook had to go and that was probably the right call. Okay, let's hear what uh, selector Luke Wright had to say about it. Incredibly tough, um, as it was in the originally when when Harry missed out as well. Um, it's not a decision we've taken lightly. You know, unfortunately for Jason, um, you know we couldn't have envisaged him not playing at all in that New Zealand series. Um, you know, we probably at that point in the early squad had him down for opening the batting um, with Johnny in the World Cup and, and Milan giving us that cover from probably one to to four, but. You know, as things happen in sport, unfortunately injuries happen. And um, I think for Dawid, 
the way he played throughout that series, um, you know, talk about taking a, an opportunity with both hands. Um, he was absolutely outstanding. So we probably realised that it slightly changed that David was probably going to be the one that would be opening the batting with Johnny in the World Cup. And then really it was a case of that spare batter. What did that look like? And obviously from from Jason's point of view, probably covers us really only from a, from an opening point of view. Um, and obviously from Harry, he gives us that cover from one to six um, and obviously been in great form as well. So look, it's it's an incredibly tough decision, but on the same token, it just shows where we are at with English cricket, that there are so many tough decisions. It's a privilege to, to have those tough decisions um, and, and we've had to make yet another one. That was uh, Luke Wright trying to justify a very difficult choice. Um, am I right in thinking, Harmy, that um, Harry Brook uh, doesn't get in the starting eleven? I mean, the only way that I can see him playing, aside from injuries, is if um, they rest Ben Stokes for a, a game or two. But otherwise, he, Brook's not in the starting eleven, is he? I mean, he's he's going to be a spare batsman. Yeah, I, I don't see how they can get him into the group, especially with Ben not bowling. If Ben was bowling, they get him in because Harry probably bats at four, everybody moves down one and one of the bowlers gets left out because you you get the overs out of Ben and, and someone like Liam Livingston in that middle order. Do they go instead of Liam Livingston and move Ben down one? But they've they've decided that Ben's gonna bat at number four. So I I struggle to see how Harry gets into the into the team. He's going Probably as a spare opening batter, spare middle order batter. And I think that's unfortunate where Jason found himself is that the person who's not in the team has to cover all bases. And if it was Jason Roy going as a number number 14 or number 15, then if a middle order gets injured, then all of a sudden Jason goes into the top and Milan probably has to be shunted around. So you never want to move two or three spots two or three players for for one change. If you've got one player that probably fits all at this minute in time, that is Harry Brook. I think the longer the tournament goes on, Brook will play because he'll find his way of getting into the team um, and his qualities are, are undoubtedly there. So it's going to be interesting to see how they get there. Luke Wright tried his very, very best to, to fudge what was an absolute debacle of we announce a 15 and then... All of a sudden, we've got games going into the World Cup, and you're going, "Hold on, there's people still got to find form. There's people going to be injured. Don't even get me started on Jofra Archer going as a travelling reserve. I don't think Jason will go as a travelling reserve. If I was, I'm, I'm not sure I would go um, after what's just happened. So, England have got a good 15 man squad going to the World Cup. There's no question whatsoever. Just think the way it's been handled. I think it's been pretty poor, to be honest, from ECB's point of view because you you have left out, arguably, somebody who is a match winner, a game changer, and somebody who has done brilliant things for this country. And like we said a couple of weeks ago, the squad will sort itself out as we get closer to the time. I just don't think they needed a picket when when they did about three weeks ago. They could, have done, they could have done it after this series, and I think it would have sorted itself out like it has done now. And then there's a whole load of question marks over somebody like Jason Roy. He's had a wonderful career for England. And I think that's him done. I don't see him coming back yeah. for England again. It was interesting. After Luke Wright said that the squad against New Zealand was also the World Cup squad, both Matthew Mott and Josh Butler said that there was actually some flexibility and there was room for manoeuvre. So that very, very much mixed messaging. On the future of, of Jason Roy, here's Luke Wright again. 
we've made it very clear to Jason that we still see him as that batting reserve at the top of the order. Um, so we certainly don't don't rule him out. Obviously, for Jason now, you know, I'm sure he's got some some thinking to do um, over the the initial disappointment. But uh, you know, we've made that clear for him that if there's an injury at the top of the order, you know, there's definitely that option for him to come in as a reserve. So. I certainly hope not, but um, I suppose that's that's something we'll we'll find out down the line. That's Luke right. Um, I don't know what he's putting in his tea, but um, honestly, look, Jason Roy's already declined an incremental England contract. He got paid four hundred thousand dollars by Major League Cricket to go and play over there, and you know he's he's not going to sit at home and be a reserve, for goodness' sake. Um, yeah, as you said, that's him done. He's thirty three years old. He's got a bit of a dodgy back, and um, that'll be T20 franchise cricket for Jay Roy from now on, you would have thought. Yeah, 100%. He's been a brilliant servant to English cricket. Tried him with a bat in opening a bat, I'm sorry, at, um, in test matches. It didn't work for him. Um, he gave it a good go. But what he's done for this country in, in one-day cricket, uh, leading into the World Cup, winning the World Cup, and subsequently since. Um, I feel so sorry for him that he doesn't get a chance to go to to India to try and sort of defend the title. But make no mistake about it, Jason Roy has been a brilliant servant for English cricket. And when, like I said earlier, when Jason bats well for England, England win. Because there's not many people, like Verinda Sirwag, not many people have a, an impact in the early part of a cricket match like Jason Roy. And when he does, for me... He is a he is the difference in in when when England win and England successful. So they're going to do it a different way. Milan's not going to be the same way as Jason Roy, um, but he's done. You can't argue. You know, three weeks ago Milan wasn't for me. wasn't going. I thought it was it was Brook instead of Milan. But like you 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 have to be you have to be sort of fluid with you know opinions and especially in this game when it comes to how people perform. David Milan's done brilliantly for England over the course of the last three weeks. And when the pressure's on and your place is up for, you see the characters stand out. And you can't argue David Milan had to go to the World Cup because of the performance he's put in. And unfortunately for Jason, I'm afraid that's it. I think that's it. Career over. And finally, Harmi, um, there is a talk about some other England players turning down multi-year contracts in order to have that contractual flexibility. But I wanted to actually ask you about Joffre Archer. Luke Wright also said a couple of weeks ago that there would be three travelling reserves. It turns out that only Joffre Archer will be a travelling reserve. So how about this for a scenario? He travels all around India, takes his 16 flights, connecting through hubs in Delhi and spends all the time in in, in economy because there's no business class on those on those lights in India. And there's talk about him. So, okay, Reese Topley gets injured um, before game seven or game eight. England have had a couple of hiccups along the way. They need to win. They bring Joffrey in. He hasn't played a game of cricket for a year. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing when I seen that. I really couldn't. What are you trying to do to the boy? I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, I want I want Joffrey Archer to play for England. Every single game, because the boy is unbelievably talented. And I mean, he's a ridiculous cricketer. But give him a chance, really, please. We've seen in South Africa when he came back. Now, he come back after nearly a year out. He bowled, he bowled his first, in the first game, he bowled 10 overs and people are going, oh, Joffre is expensive. He's going to be expensive. He ain't played cricket for a long, long time. Think about it. Why is he not? Why Obviously, he couldn't play for Sussex. Couldn't play for their second team because... It's not right for him to do it. So if he's not right to go and play 
in a in lead into a into a sort of a, a rehab program coming back. What makes you think he's going to be ready for a World Cup semi final when somebody falls over? We've got a fifteen man squad going to the World Cup. We're going to need twenty players. We are. You've got Mark Wood, Rhys Topley, Chris Wokes, all these bowlers who have got injury track records. You know who have, have struggled in the past. We should be taking. We should be taking Brian Cars. Yeah, he should be going as a as a traveling reserve. Yeah, that Gus Atkinson's going. He's going to probably be the next cab off the rank going in. Yeah, all these players who are who have been in the squad from a bowling point of view, they should be either in Dubai or Abu Dhabi waiting just in case anything happens. Send Joffre there, that's fine. But to put pressure on Joff Archer potentially to come and play in a quarter for a semi final or one of the last group games when Mark Wood gets injured, because it will happen. It will happen. Reese Topley or Mark Wood will get probably get injured over the course of these next six weeks. To ask Joffre Archer to come in, my God, that is just ridiculous. I'm sorry. I feel so sorry for Joff because if he does, and England lose, and people will say, oh, he was expensive or he didn't, he wasn't a 90-mile-an-hour Joffre. He's not the 90-mile-an-hour Joffre because he's not a robot. That, for me, is just madness. Absolute madness. But that's a decision they've made. So good luck to them. Fingers crossed for Joffre, on a personal note, that he comes through it if he does end up having to play. I just wonder how much he's looking forward to seven weeks of travelling around <laughs> India, having nets and doing PlayStation in his hotel room. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> you're listening to The Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Right, delighted to say that Nathan Johns has uh, joined us now to have a look at uh, the Irish series. National selector Luke Wright's confirmed that Joe Root will play in the first game on Wednesday at uh, the, the batter's own request, which is interesting, uh, certainly. I mean, it's almost an admission that uh, he knows he's struggling for form. Um, Nathan, how much are you looking forward to the series? And is there a, a sense of disappointment, perhaps, that uh, England are basically putting albeit still a very strong squad, but it's a B team. Well, I think that the, what makes this series a little bit quiet coming in under the radar, given the sporting landscape we're at the minute, is, is the fact that Ireland are, aren't going to a World Cup. This series was certainly scheduled with, with one eye on the fact that it would be three prep games against the World Cup champions heading into a World Cup. And, and obviously that didn't happen. We, we covered before the, the kind of disaster that they had down in Zimbabwe at the at the qualifying tournament. So given that Ireland are now at the start of the next World Cup cycle in ODI cricket, their most important ODIs aren't going to come for another four years now. I think it's you, you combine that with England maybe playing a bit of a bit of a second string and, and it does look a little bit strange um these games. Uh, but, but you know Root is certainly an interesting factor and I think everyone is is more than happy to to see him play. But I mean you know Ireland just just needs to try and start figuring out who they have and who who will still be around in four years' time and what they have to work with. Um, and that's in, in 50 over cricket. And that series is the start of this process. And there's some Paul Sterling captains. Andy Balberni steps aside. Two of them go uh, in first, open the batting together. Curtis Camphert batting at number three. Uh, is that a good top order? Is it it's a new top order? Do you feel as though that's the right way to go for the, the new cycle of, like you said, the, the World Cup qualification? I don't think it's the right way to go. I can see why they've done it. Um, ever since William Porterfield, the old captain, retired in 2022, they haven't been able to figure out who's going to be their long-term opener in 50-over cricket. Balbrani had a go last year. Didn't He had three games, didn't get out of double figures. 
they then went to to McBride, the off spinner, to to open and bat at three in various different combinations. He went fine. He went okay, but he's a number seven, number eight who can hold up an end. He can score thirty off sixty, but he's not going to win you a game of cricket in a power play, which is which is what you need at the top of the order in, in, in white ball cricket. So they've been trying so many different combinations and, and Camfer scored a lot of runs down the order at five or six. In a press conference yesterday, Heinrich Milan, the head coach, said, you know, he's been in that rescue role for us for so long for, for bailing them out of trouble whenever the, the top order fails. So it makes sense in a way to just put him up there. But equally, I would say, if you're going to put up someone from the middle order to bat at three, your best option is to put your best player and give him as many balls as possible to face. And that would be Harry Tector, who's a, uh, who's at four. So I, I would have gone with him, but I know he's kind of, he has the Joe Root problem in test cricket. He loves batting at four and doesn't want to go any higher, I think. But, you know, Camfer scored a lot of runs against England in 50 over cricket in the past. He scored a lot of runs recently. He scored hundreds for Somerset in 50 over competitions this summer. So he's a good player of pace. It, it makes sense. Uh, I'm not quite sure it's it's the right move per se, but it's it's an interesting one. Curtis Camfer certainly has the confidence. I mean, I, I love the fact that uh, he is... So confident, um, you know, and, and he was quite outspoken. I mean, when he started his international career, I think he was batting eight, maybe even nine, you know, and he, and he said, uh, it's, it's ridiculous, you know, I should be up the order. And when he was moved up to number six, uh, you know, there were people raising an eyebrow thinking, I wonder if he's got the game to bat in the top six. He talks a good game, but he, he delivers as well, doesn't he? Do you think he can do that at number three? I Look, it's a, it's a different challenge for him. He's uh, He's been a... Like you said, he kind of came into this this Irish side as a bowling all-rounder, but he announced himself brilliantly. I mean, the, the last time Ireland played England in 50 over cricket was that COVID series down in um, down in Southampton. And if you remember, Camford batted twice and, and scored two half centuries and kind of announced himself in that way as a batter rather than a bowler. And it's taken a while for Ireland to kind of come full circle and say, yeah, you're a batting all-rounder rather than a bowling, bowling all-rounder. But uh, this move definitely confirms that. Look, he's a player who... Had never never really stood out when he was back in South Africa playing playing club cricket. He never really got a look in in the professional game. But he came to Ireland with his with his passport, and he's he's the type of player who he's managed to elevate his game every level he's gone up. And you can you have to commend that considering he didn't play that any professional cricket really before he was thrown in. He came into Ireland during COVID and was thrown straight into the national team without playing really any cricket in Ireland. So you have to commend that he's he's someone who doesn't necessarily mind being unsettled. He's been unsettled for pretty much all of his international career. So you do wonder, like, if, if they say we're going to give you a year batting at three, it is exciting to see, does he take that stability and, and go with it and, and do and do lots of fantastic things for Ireland? They certainly need him to, because they need to figure out this top three. Like I said, they've been flip-flopping over who goes where, who bats where for so long now. Um, and they might even, even if Camp is successful, they might need to look at openers because um, it's been well-documented that Val Burney isn't the biggest fan of opening. He likes to bat at three. As the senior player in the side, they kind of just said to him, "Look, you need to you need to bite the bullet and, and, and move one spot up the order." So we'll see how long that experiment lasts. Um, they certainly will be hoping it it, uh, it lasts a while because those two guys, Sterling and Balburnie, are thirty two and thirty three. They're planning for the next World Cup. Obviously, at that age, you you do have to question: Are they going to be around at thirty six, thirty seven, still scoring lots of runs for uh, for for World Cup in four years' time? So this could this opening question could be a, an issue that comes up uh, over the next four years quite a lot. And what can they achieve? Against England, I know England are playing what is relatively a B side, but what can Ireland um, realistically come out with at the end of this three match series? I was chatting to a player recently who's not in this squad, um, but he's, he's on the fringes, and he just said recently, and he just said to me, Look, play, playing any England side these days in white ball cricket, he said it's a mugs game, doesn't matter who they put out there. And I think there is an element of, 
of that going in. Um, I think anybody, a lot of people in Ireland have, have been a little bit disappointed with, with the side England have put out in terms of it doesn't have the, the guys that they were watching on TV over the summer. Um, but I think anybody who pays any attention to the domestic game knows that these guys are all fantastic players and quite a lot of them would, would probably walk into the Irish side even still, maybe apart from the likes of Tector and Little would have something to say about that potentially. But so they're still very much up against it. But that being said, they're playing a very inexperienced side. Barring the disastrous 50-over World Cup qualification tournaments, 50-over cricket is Ireland's bread and butter and has been for a long time now. They will be disappointed if they don't win one of the three games, I think, over, over the next 10 days or so. And Nathan, uh, there's a, a lot of familiarity about the I- Irish squad um, that's been announced. But uh, when I saw the name Theo van Voorkom, I thought, ah, they've got themselves another South African. So I looked him up and it turns out that he's not an up and coming youngster who's um, up to and moved from Johannesburg. He was born in New Zealand. He plays for Canterbury and he's 30 years old. Yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting one. He's he's kind of come out of nowhere a little bit. He's played uh, domestic list A cricket for about a year now. He came over at the beginning of of previous season. Not a lot of people would have realised he had a passport. Not a lot of people would have been going, "Oh, get this guy in." Like he's he's been a solid performer, and um, with a couple of good outings, I wouldn't necessarily say necessarily say he's beaten the door down with his domestic performances to get selected. But basically, what happened was. They had an injury to Gareth Delaney, their first choice leg spinner, prior to the T20 World Cup qualifiers in Scotland at the end of July of this year. And they basically admitted that their younger spinners who they have who are contracted, because Van Verkham isn't on a, on a central contract, he's, but, but he's playing on match fees at the minute. And they admitted that their younger contracted spinners weren't ready for a tight qualifying tournament that they needed to win. Bear in mind, it came just after that uh, Zimbabwe disaster. So they couldn't afford to bring young spinners in their minds that hadn't hadn't been tested um, at international level. So they picked this guy because he was experienced, he's a solid performer, and he was picked as a backup spinner to the guys that they did have so that if anyone got injured during that week in Scotland, they had a guy who had played first-class cricket in New Zealand and New Zealand under-19s and had played enough cricket to go, look, he can do a job for a game or two against Austria or whoever it was that they were playing Speaking to people in and around the camp, the sense was that was the pick. It was kind of an emergency pick. But then all of a sudden, they picked him again for a series against India. And now they picked him again for this England series. Um, so it's an interesting one. The The line that I was told is that he was a bit of an emergency injury cover, but they would back their younger guys eventually. Hasn't come to fruition yet. A lot of people are disappointed with that because they've talked about using this series as the start of the 2027 cycle. But yet there are plenty of young players they could have picked that they haven't. They picked this this slightly older uh, New Zealand-born player who hasn't even played yet, by the way, um, who's supposed to play against India, but those games got rained out. So he hasn't played debut for Ireland yet. You would think he'd get a game in this series, but if he doesn't, he's then gone on, on three tours as a backup left-arm spinner who can do a job when when needed, but not trusted enough to start. So it's a really intriguing prospect. Um, I think there might be a link between him and the coach from New Zealand, because obviously Heinrich spent a lot of time coaching in New Zealand. So there's probably some trust there, I think. Or they they definitely come across each other, at least. I don't know if they've worked with each other before. Um, but it's, it, it's a slightly interesting one. If they're going to keep picking him, they need to play him at some point because this is the third tour he's gone on now and he, and he still hasn't played. Thank you so much for your time. Always insightful, as ever. Um, and enjoy enjoy the series. It's uh, very interesting from an England point of view. Zach Crawley captaining and Joe Root playing in that first game. Um, and uh, some players, I'm no doubt, be keen to make a point. But thank you for your time. Pleasure. Thanks, guys.
It's Nathan Johns from uh, the Irish Times. Harmy, um, Zach Crawley, captain, and Joe Root saying, I need another game. Root actually averages less than 28. He averages 27.8 in ODIs in the last couple of years. I didn't realise that came as a shock to me when I when I saw that number. And he didn't look, uh, he never settled, didn't, never got going against New Zealand. And I found that really interesting, um, actually asking to play in that first game rather than resting. It is, but it just shows you a testament to the, the guy who wants to strive to get better. One of the best players of all time. Wanting to be in the right shape and the right physical, I mean, mental position to go into a World Cup. And he's decided nets aren't good enough for me at the minute. And I, I probably need some time in the middle. And it's like, it's like a batter going into the start of the season when you you can, and I, I mean, this was all due respect to Ireland when you play against the sort of universities. At the start of the season, you want to get you want to get some runs under your belt. You want to get some some you know time in the middle, and you want to do it in competitive cricket. And I think Joe's might have thought, right, I might be able to get a, a 60, 70, 80 ball innings in the middle in a competitive game. That would be better than any net, and I'm, I'll go anywhere to do it. Um, the average, don't worry me whatsoever. We're going to India. Best player in the world has been for me outside the Indian market. For me, Joe Root's the best player spin in, in world cricket. So I think if we're going anywhere else in the world for the World Cup, you might have a, a concern about Joe, but not when you go to India. For me, he is the best. And that's why I have no question whatsoever that Joe Root bats number three for England in a 50-over World Cup in the subcontinent because of his ability to pull a spin, um, the best spin, but also any other spin that comes his way. I think Joe will be fine in India. And a reminder, you can hear updates on England's ODI series with Ireland on TalkSport with the action getting underway at Joe Root's home ground. Headingly on Wednesday, you're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll speak exclusively to the New Zealand captain, Kane Williamson, ahead of the start of the Cricket World Cup next month. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available, as always, via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, what an absolute pleasure to be joined, as promised, at the top of the show by New Zealand ODI captain Kane Williamson, who is going to be playing in his fourth World Cup and my goodness me, that seemed like a distant prospect six months ago. Kane, cruciate knee ligament injury. I mean, there was a time not long ago when that was generally regarded as a year and possibly even career-threatening. Quite an extraordinary journey back to, to fitness. I know you're probably sick and tired of talking about it. I know that the recovery probably took an enormous amount of sacrifice and dedication from, from you. But just a, a brief reflection on that journey. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's still going. Really, there's still you know a, a bit of work to go, but the progress has been has been very good. And you know I've had a, a very good team around me. And I suppose as a, a professional sports person, you know if you're injured, there's there's not much else to do except for trying to get back on the park. So the motivation is certainly there. And and also um, up until well at the moment been relatively fortunate in terms of um, not too many big setbacks uh, on that road to recovery. So, you know, so many factors, you mentioned some of the time frames, but also what sort of sport you're returning to and all those parts of the picture come into, you know, where you might be and, and, and what might be realistic. But yeah, it's been a week by week, day by day process. And that's nice to, well, it's really exciting actually to be, sort of in a position to be selected in the squad for the, the World Cup. Okay, now you're coming out the other side of, obviously, the the injury. You know, obviously, nobody wants to get injured, nobody likes being injured, but the time you've had off, because of the amount of cricket you've played and the way you know the, the calendar is around the world, is it sometimes you appreciate it more when you do have some time off to reflect on what's gone on or what potentially is going to happen coming forward and, you know, time to reevaluate goal settings and, and, and actually breathe and live a, a normal life yeah I mean look there's there's a silver lining to it and I've got two little kids and and we spent you know a lot of time together and uh, you mentioned it, it's not ideal you know getting injured's never a, a nice thing and certainly a serious one that you know sort of keeps you out of the game for a long period of time but you know you sort of look at the positives and you know having that home time you know the kids are my kids are both really young and um, and often we are on the road and we miss a lot of those those moments. So, you know, there is a, a silver lining to it. And, you know, you definitely in, enjoy parts of it. But um, obviously when you're in the gym and, and you're at the physio's um, bed, there's, there's work to do and, and the focus is there to try and get back on the park. So, yeah, I mean, you know, a silver lining, absolutely. But, you know, looking forward to, to getting fully fit and, and back into cricket. And then back into cricket, it's going to be leading New Zealand into a World Cup. Um, you've had time to to sort of to sit back on this trip, look at what you, you possibly need, what you know strengths the oppositions have got, and also you mentioned about silver linings. Is it giving you a chance with a coach and some senior players to to really plan about challenging and trying to go with that one better, that one sort of better and and make mountain a, a a winning challenge out in India for the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose you know we talk about having a lot of time and. Um, you probably have experienced this, but um, I haven't so much before. But when you're injured, actually, you you, you sort of don't have a, a huge amount of downtime between gym and um, and physio, and then sort of return to playing, sort of preparation and and 
all of a sudden your days disappeared. But you know, it has been great to to sort of sit down and obviously the um the the squad is and most squads have been sort of named and you start looking ahead to to the tournament and you know you mentioned one better and we've had some you know really good experiences in recent world cups but um you know it truly starts again and, and every four years means that all teams change some quite considerably um certainly venues change and um and things keep moving on so you know the, the challenges in front of us rather than sort of you know attempts to to repeat it's actually about where we're at as a team, how we're looking to target what what is in, in front of us and in, in different conditions um, and on different days against different opposition and and really be as comfortable as we can in that space to, to take on that challenge because we all know and, and, you know, it was certainly highlighted in the last World Cup and, and even the previous one perhaps that uh, that anybody can beat, beat anybody on their day. So without getting too far ahead of ourselves, it's just focusing on on one game at a time and, and see where we land. And basically, if we're playing good cricket and we're making some good decisions along the way, then we know that sort of gives us the best chance. And you, you mentioned about sort of playing some good cricket. You've had some, you know, some good cricket on on this trip and on this series. But it's going to be a different challenge in India and different types of of contests between sort of bat and ball, and also from a, obviously a mental point of view because of the, the conditions, um, heat wise and physically. Where do you see sort of New Zealand's hardest challenge of potentially getting getting one over on on everybody else because everybody talks about these one percent as that you know makes the difference for me new zealand in all sports of you know especially you know cricket and rugby the them them little one percent as a why new what make new zealand great uh where do you see that challenge when it comes to india and the world cup conditions yeah i mean you mentioned india and, and those conditions are you know certainly foreign to, to us and a lot of other teams and uh, I mean, adapting to those, it's a bit cliche, but, but that is a, a big part of it. But also, as we've seen, uh, certainly in all the World Cups that I've been involved in and, and watched the the changing conditions over a long period and, and how you need to be reasonably fluid with that as a team and, and, and really connect as a group. You know, sometimes, well, it's becoming more and more of a, a challenge, I suppose, where players are playing all around the world and they sort of come together as a group quite quickly before series or or events and um really getting nice and clear on and all the roles that are important to to us as a team and, and what gives us the best chance and, and our recipe and uh and then playing what's in front of us but yeah i mean we, we just know that there are no promises you know you, you sort of do all the prep um you try and get nice and clear and and then you go in and and try and just adjust to what's in front of you in the moment because things change and they change quickly and uh, and tournaments kind of pass you by quite quickly so yeah, we want to be nice and clear going into it, uh, and and, base, and look forward to it. You know, these things are to be enjoyed, and um, you know, I reflect on the ones I've been in, and we had, we had a lot of fun. You know, and we're doing something we love, and in parts of the world that you know, there's so much to to enjoy there. So, you know, as a team, we we want to really look forward to to the occasion and, and the challenge that lies ahead. Finally, from me, Kane, two in one, very quickly. Uh, people will say that that you must be very rusty. After six months without cricket, in my experience, when you've players like you have hit a million balls, actually, um, uh, you know, you <laughs> not really a question of finding your touch. Um, you'll be fit and fresh and rested and, and raring to go. I know the knee will will face a challenge, but um, a, a word on that. But also, the depth in New Zealand cricket is astonishing. 
I remember saying two years ago that it was unprecedented. It's even deeper now. I mean, you can afford to leave players like Carl Jameson and Finn Allen out of the squad. It's extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, look, those those decisions are always really tough. And whenever you pick World Cup squads, there's always you know a lot of players that that are disappointed. And and like you mentioned, the depth at the moment uh, in our cricket is is strong. We're really fortunate to have that. But that also comes uh, disappointment when when the squad size doesn't change and you and you're still selecting you know, 15, you know, in certain conditions and with certain plans in mind. And and, um, and that's kind of the way that goes. And, yeah, as as for me and, and preparation and, and cricket, um, certainly doing everything I can to get ready for that tournament to, you know, from the start with not really sort of seeing it as, as a chance, I suppose, to then um, it becoming a reality and, and the preparation and, and things being the focus, you know, and, and sort of, combining that with with rehab which there's still work to do you know it, it is what it is uh, I suppose it's part and parcel of the professional sport you you weather a few you know days and and, and injuries and things that, that kind of come with what we do and and really just try and focus on on your role and, and what's in, in front of you and you know it's a really exciting prospect it's you know for me sitting here now and, and being named in the in the world cup squad when didn't think it was was possible is is really exciting and I'm looking forward to it Obviously, we're we're English, so we're we're going to try not to mention what happened four years ago in in 2019. But I think mm. the final from me would be to wish you all the best, Kian, and would be great to go. You know that one step further and two finals that you've been in. Um, what would it mean to the people in New Zealand if you could go that one step further and actually win this 50 over World Cup? It'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know, everybody wants to win it, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, the focus for us as a team is is what's in front of us each day and you know in terms of the supporters I'm sure they'll be right behind us and and uh wanting to see a few more good days than the other but um you know it's always a journey these these events um they're always hard fought anybody can beat anybody which makes it you know really exciting prospect so no doubt you know we're looking forward to to the challenge and you know it'll be a great event that was uh, New Zealand captain Kane Williamson chatting to us a little earlier Harmi, Tim Southey's uh, been injured as well. He's got a, a broken hand. Um, it sounds like he is going to stay in the World Cup squad, go to the tournament and then um, probably miss the first three or four games. But Williamson's comeback's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, he was given almost no chance whatsoever. Cruciate knee ligament injury it used to be a year. Um, it happened in the first game of the IPL and he's he's back and he's batting. And, and do you think he'll be... Rusty, or has he hit so many balls? <laughs> Once you've hit a million balls in your does it is it just like getting back on the bike? Yeah, I think it'd be slightly rusty when it comes to body movements, but fast is permanent. And it, it, like we talked about Joe earlier, now this guy has played so many IPLs. This guy has played so many times in India. You know, Kim Williamson averages fifty-five in Test cricket. Man's ridiculous. Uh, just to have him on the show, I was so over the moon that he agreed to come on. I did a Q&A with him a couple of weeks ago and he was in great form. He said he's as strong as ever. The rest of his bodies get a chance to have a break. It'll probably take him a few, you know, a game or two to to get up to speed when it comes to um, movement-wise. It's obviously a, a big game when he obviously played England first up, but uh, I don't think it'll take him long to get back into it. He's been probably been standing still hitting balls for quite some time now. But then you get the groove and the movement in once the knee starts to work again. I think he'll be, like I said, a four classes permanent. He'll be fine and New Zealand will be over the moon to get him back because 
get Kim Williamson in any team is a is a huge boost. But now that the experience of Saudi is going to be missing for quite a bit, that's a massive blow. I really think that's a, a game-changing blow for New Zealand, Tim Saudi missing because his knowledge, his experience, his lower order, little sort of cameos at the bottom end with a, with a bat um, and his undoubted quality and experience with the ball. I think that's a massive blow for New Zealand if he misses. I think he misses the whole World Cup. You, you looked at the, the thumb when he was run, running off the field. Uh, I'm not sure how that can heal in the next six weeks. I really don't. That's a, that, that looked a horrific injury. So if he's back after four games, fantastic. Great for New Zealand. But I'd be very, very surprised. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. Right, lots to get through in part four. Let's begin with the One Day Cup and a terrific win. A terrific win, actually, for Leicestershire and a, and a really thrilling final befitting what's been a, a popular tournament and going right to the to the last ball Hampshire needing to hit for four and uh, only managing two but terrific stuff I mean lots of storylines there Leicestershire 89 for six um, after batting first wonderful hundred from Harry Swindles and, and 60 from Sam Evans to give them it was wonderful Harmy the only disappointing thing that I could see was that Trent Bridge wasn't full yeah Trent Bridge wasn't full I, I've got a sort of Take that one back from uh, Nick Friend, our, our sort of county cricketer podcast, um, when I did say it's got to be played at Lords, and he explained why he didn't think it should have been played at Lords. And I think he won that argument because of the, the attendance at um, at Trent Bridge, especially Leicester being so close to Trent Bridge, you thought there would be a few more there. So I, I forget the the, 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 the the disappointment of the attendance. I thought it was a good game of cricket. I thought Hampshire bowled fantastically well. Heath Barker put pressure on at the start. Then all of a sudden, the great partnership. The young lad, Josh, is it Josh Hall? I think his name is. I was really impressed by him. What is he, 18-year-old, playing in the final? I thought he he handled himself very, very well for Leicester. And they deserve to win. All the disappointment of losing Paul Nixon and the sort of fanfare that, that came with. We are well done to James Taylor and 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 the, the backroom team for bringing it all together, identifying this is a good competition to win. Bear in mind they didn't have many players in the hundred, so they could throw their whole squad at it. They've set the marker out, go and win it, and they did. And, you know, brilliantly well done for them. So it was a it was a good final. Um, one, I think the competition has been hugely popular and hugely positive this year, which is great. Um, while the hundreds going on, so you can have two competitions going side by side, um, and you know we've had well, we had Somerset win a competition, we've had Leicester win a competition, we've wanted all the big counties wanting rid of oh, all the big wigs wanting rid of the little counties, and they've had arguably you know the the, the two county two smaller counties have had a the, you know the one trophy, so good luck to them, brilliant, um, and I think there was a huge huge amount of positivity come out of that fifty over competition this year. Yeah, but it was Josh Hull. Um, fantastic example of a bowler forgetting what has happened in his previous nine overs, which in which he went for 70. It was just those six balls. He's just turned Absolutely. 19. He held his nerve and it was, you know, these are the only six balls that matter, Josh. Don't yeah. worry about the other 54 that you've bowled. Absolutely. And it was, it was and, and that for me is a great, man, is that's great for what this competition's about. That's what builds character. That's what builds people's careers. Because I looked at that and gone, you know what? 
this kid will be brilliant. He'd be much better off for going through that experience. Don't you come in and was a whirlwind, eighteen-year-old get five for? You did well, but you, you're not really learning something. Josh learned something very, very quickly in his ten overs there. And the best thing I've the, you comes from it is, you know, to put the disappointment to one side and nail whatever you're trying to do, especially at the business time of the game. So many times I've seen it in county cricket, you see overseas players come in. You know, when the overseas players came in, man, as it was the batter in the power player and the business, the business end, and the bowls at the death. You know, they had two overseas bowlers. They both bowl at the death. Where's these young England cricketers going to learn how to handle pressure at death overs? And that, for me, was the beauty about what Josh did at the weekend. So, you know, fair play and well done to the boy. Absolute schmuzzle at Sussex. They're pushing for promotion. They've had a really good season. Uh, and they lost the plot in the championship game against Sussex. They get a 12-point deduction. They drop from third to fifth. Chiteshwa Pajara is banned. Uh, Paul Farbrace decides not to play Tom Haynes or Jack Carson or um, Ari Carvalas in the championship game against Derbyshire. There have been a couple of heartfelt apologies issued by Haynes and Carson. They admitted that they crossed the line. There was there was sledging. Um, there was physical contact with uh, a, a batsman. And I have to say, Paul Firebrace would be devastated, I, I, I should think. I mean, you know, the Sussex were pushing for promotion. Yeah, Fabi, a good friend of, of, of our show. You've got a feel for him because there's pressure on the line. These are young young guys, young lads. You know, Bajara, obviously, he's captain. He's getting banned because of, obviously, what's happened. You don't want to take emotion out of the contest, but there's a line not crossed. And unfortunately, these lads have crossed the line and they're going to get punished for it. I really would hope that they'd learn from this situation and it makes them better. A little bit like we talked about Josh. Josh Hull, just a couple of seconds ago. You make mistakes in life, and I'm all for people making mistakes because that's how you learn to be better. But unfortunately, there's consequences with mistakes, and these are the consequences that you've let your side down. You've let your director of cricket and coach and Paul Farberis down. Captain's going to miss a game, um, and you've let you know, you've let your members down or the, your supporters down, and you have to sit through that. So if I was Farby, I'd be making sure that Tom Hens and Jack Carson are. They're 12th man for that game, and I'll make them sit there. And, you know, I'm not for anything other than a bit like Bullseye, look what you could have won, but you make sure that they sit there and understand that I'm not going to punish you because I don't want to take the emotion away from you. But I really need you, really need you to understand that you have, under pressure, the best players handle it with calm and clear thoughts. Unfortunately, you didn't do that. Quick word on Tim Murtagh, um, who's retiring uh, with 951 first-class wickets. He might add a couple more to that before he bows out. 42 years old. He's going straight into a full-time coaching position. I mean, he's a he's a magnificent person and a, and a brilliant, brilliant cricketer. Uh, it's a shame he couldn't get to a 1,000 first-class wickets, but uh, you don't play the game for records. If they happen, then they happen, um, and they're a bonus. But it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, he's a great fan of the programme as well. He's been on a couple of times with us. But um, I always think that, um, or I don't know, we used to think that you need at least a couple of years of gardening leave before you take I mean, he's going to walk, you know, straight back into the change room as bowling coach, having played there for a decade. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's a wonderful career. And he is, he's a, he's a good man, as, as Tim Murtagh. He's obviously been from either side of the Thames, the Middlesex, the Surrey. And people like Tim Murtagh, Dominic Cork before him, Glenn Chapel, these guys who 
who just turned out over after over after over, got into their late 30s because they love the game. Jimmy Anderson, obviously, different level because obviously playing international cricket for all that time. These guys, Martin Bicknell, they are what county cricket is has been brilliant about. And for me to see him eventually retire at 42, I thought it might come a little bit sooner, but you know, he goes in and just loves the game of cricket. You can see that. He mentioned in Garden and Leave and go and having a couple of years to actually and yeah, put a bit of weight on and drink yourself into oblivion <laughs> like um, like many of us have done. But he's going to go back into coaching to give something back to try and get the next generation of bowlers. I, I don't think words can do a career like Tim Murtis uh, enough because he has been so good for so long for so many people, i.e. captains and coaches. I hope he in retirement and I, I the whoever he comes into contact with coaching point of view, they're in for a treat because the guy was so skillful. You know, he swung it in, swung it away. He bowled at a decent pace. Uh, when he was younger, he bowled at a, obviously a little bit little bit quicker pace, but everybody will remember him for that day at Lords when he, he turned over England and bowled England out and the uh if there ever was, if there ever was a county cricketer who'd gone to their groundsman and said, I need a pitch. It was definitely the Lord Gansman for an island international who played a lot of cricket for Middlesex and asked the groundsman, give me a green top and I will show England what I can do. And boy, did he do it. Did he do it? So, and he, I tell you what else he does. He does a great job. Him and his wife do a great job for the Ruth Strauss Foundation. And I'm sure that will get a lot more attention um, from the Murta family now. Tim stopped playing. So good on them for that and enjoy your retirement. Uh, moving on, we've got a couple of items uh, remaining. Yorkshire County Cricket Club. Uh, now then, there's been lots of speculation about who might buy them. A lot of misinformation, a lot of idle speculation, and it's not a subject that you and I can describe um, as clearly as the one and only George Dobell. Now, the latest episode of Following On County Cricketer is out, um, and on the latest episode, um, the cricketer's senior correspondent, George Dobell, uh, joined you and John Norman, and uh, he describes the situation better than either of you or I could. The truth is so much more prosaic than the headlines, I'm afraid. What they're looking for is to borrow some money. It's basically a mortgage or a buy and lease back. They want to borrow 20 to 25 million and pay it back over 10 years. And I still think they're going to do it with the Fraser Group. So, yeah. so the problem with this story is it's so emotive. So people mm. talk about Rajasthan Royals buying Yorkshire. Ain't happening. Not on the table. Don't think it ever has been on the table. Think it's simplistic to say it. Equally, the whole Mike Ashley name, it's evocative. Fine. Mike Ashley's not even on the board of Fraser Group. He hasn't been involved in these discussions. He is the owner. He did found it, but he isn't on the board. So to say it's Mike Ashley, it's Fraser Group. There was no Saudi prince who was going to buy Yorkshire. Never going to happen. Nonsense. Rajasthan Royals were never going to buy Yorkshire. Actually, what's happening is the new management are very sensibly exploring their options. And, and since they've had this you know, mortgage idea, actually, I believe other people have come to the table. So there are other people talking. I believe Manoj Badali was one of those. But what he wants, which is quite reasonably, is a big foothold in English cricket. And what is available to him at Yorkshire are not the same things. So uh, they were never going to sell Yorkshire. The membership would be able to stop it. And absolutely right. You know, the membership could be bought out. But um, it, it, it would well. It's it's uh, look. It could happen. It's but it will be up to them. That's George Dobell clearing up the situation there. And you can download the, the latest episode of Following On County Cricketer on the Following On podcast feed with a new episode out 
next week after the latest round of county championship matches. Okay, um, it's final word time, Harmy. We had a choice, and I've um, decided the final word goes to Adam Zampa this week. But in close contention was the final of the Asia Cup. Uh, Many people said that it was the final the tournament deserved after they changed the playing conditions and changed the rules in order to manufacture the game between India and Pakistan. Anyway, Sri Lanka were bowled out for 50, and um, India won the game in uh, off about 17 balls. And, and like it was a 50-over final, uh, showpiece Asia Cup, and it was um, it lasted about as long as a T20 game. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, another schmozzle there. But Adam Zampa, equaling his countryman's record um, for the most expensive analysis in a one-day international, he went for 113 uh, which equaled the performance of Mick Lewis in the famous 4-3-8 game um, at the mm. Wanderers. Uh, do you know what? We were told at the time that Ricky Ponting kept bowling Mick Lewis because he'd never wanted him in the squad in the first place. He took <laughs> a medi- medium pacer from Victoria who, who'd, who'd put in a couple of decent performances in domestic 50-over cricket and suddenly Ricky Ponting had him in the squad and he was like, no, <laughs> the, the selectors wanted you and you're going to bowl your 10, pal. Anyway, Adam Adam Zampa went for the same number against Heinrich Klaassen and David Miller in the fourth One Day International between South Africa and Australia. Did you did you catch any of the action? I did. It was it, watching the whole game was like watching the highlights. Real here we go again, sort of thing. It was great. I played with Mick Lewis. I captained him once. He was a he's a great man, Mick, and I mean hilarious. Um, every time I see somebody go for over a hundred, it just knocks my ninety three down that little bit further down the. Uh, off the top of the off the charts when they go for more ex- most expensive bowlers, we got three hundred and fifty against Schlanker at, at Headley, thinking we've got enough here, and they got it in thirty five overs. I ended up bowling ten overs for ninety three. Then I tried to just kept hitting over. I bowled ninety five mile an hour bounces at Sanath, and he was hitting them one handed over the Western Terrace. So when you get deals like that, you've just got you just got to take your hat off and say, well played. Um, but Adam Zampa, Mick Lewis, Mick, I mean, Mick's a great man. I remember being on the field and. I think it was Neil. It was either the great Larry Lloyd's on Neil uh, Malander, who was um, who was umpire, and he's shouting at me, "Harmy, where's Mick?" Because obviously he, he had to go off for two overs. He says, "Is he coming back on?" And I looked towards the dressing room, and I went, "He'll be another over, yeah." And all I could see, because Mick used to hide behind advertising boards and have a fag, and he smoked the smoke <laughs> would be going above the above the advertising boards, and I'd be going, "No, he's coming. He'll be back in the next over." And they go. Can't see him. I said, no, but I can see the smoke because he's not finished yet. So what a man, great fella, a top bowler. I, I know Ricky Ponton said he didn't want him in the side, but Mick was skillful. Um, good coach now. Um, but I think he would have quite liked Zampa to go for 114 just to knock him off that, off the top of the pile. But every time I see it, I'm pleased that my 93 is just getting further and further down the pecking order. So... It was a great game. It was a great game. And South Africa, you've got a manners, you've got to fancy their their outside chances in the uh, in the World Cup because they've got some I think they've got their ducks in a, in a row. I think they've got some quality players in key areas. And I think Marco Janssen just might be the balance of the side that might make South Africa um a threat in this World Cup. Outside, outside chance, I think. Um, the great thing about Adam Zampa is that he was completely and totally phlegmatic. Whereas Mick Lewis, I remember very clearly looking quite traumatised. Adam Zampa regarded this being 
conceding 173 in the last 10 overs, the most ever in a one-day international. And it looked like he was mildly irritated by a by a fly. You know, he was, I mean, he, went, he, got, he got hit for 26 in his last over, three successive sixes in Heinrich Klaassen, and he was just mildly irritated. So uh, he deserves uh, to have the final the final word. Thanks, Harmi. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you have missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back at a similar time next week to look ahead to the start of the Cricket World Cup. This has been The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. 